0: There is that area of the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it will never stop on this side of heaven. It will never stop. It's a constant ongoing work. And the reason I say it will never stop, because we won't be like Jesus until we see him face to face. Until that time comes, we're constantly always fighting off the battles of the flesh. And we're a long ways from being perfect. Pastor Brown is a long, 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 long way from being perfect. Or being what God would really have me to be. Now that's not saying I'm not a work in in progress. Because I am. I'm not what I used to be. And I'm a long way from what I used to be. But yet I know there's a long, long, long way yet to go. I know that in me. And understand this principle. You'll never be what God desired you to be until you totally allow the Holy Spirit to do that work in you that God wants to do in order for you to be what he wants you to be. As long as you're doing it in the flesh, you're judging yourself by somebody else's standard, some man's standard, trying to be good. But you're not really using the standards of God. You're not using the standards of his righteousness, the standard of his holiness, the standards of his justice. You're using man's standard, and you're trying to uh, please man when you ought to be trying to please who? God. God. And you'll never fully live out your godly purpose until you really learn how to come under the authority of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit in your life is an ongoing work. It's a constant work. It will never cease as long as you are living on this side of heaven. Now, without the Holy Spirit... We make our Christianity into something which matches the gutter snipes. They were children who went around picking food out of the sewage that went down through the cities, on the outskirts of the city. Gutter snipes. And as Christians sometimes, we carry this mentality of unbelieving rather than believers. And we look more like an unbelieving culture that has picked its manners and its morals out of the sewer rather than out of the word of God. I know I'm older, and I have some old standards. But what galls me sometimes, and and I'm praying about it because I want to talk to my superintendent about it, we can be sitting in the sanctuary at our district meetings. And most of our young African-American pastors will come in With their caps on backwards or their caps on, and they sit there. And I want to say, take them off. You're still in the most holy of holy or respected places where people worship. And we're looking for God's presence. And I understand today trying to wear the blue jeans, and I'm even trying to tone down just a little bit, not I don't want to lose too much. But the whole process we can tone down so far that we lose a respect for God and not knowing we've lost it. I asked one person, Okay, if you wear your shorts and some woman wears her short shorts. How do you explain shorts? Which one's wrong? But if you can wear your shorts. What's wrong with a woman wearing her? Short shorts. And somewhere we have to learn this lesson yet. We are called our people. Roved in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that even as a culture and as a people, we're his ambassadors. And because of who we are in Christ, we dress and conduct ourselves in a certain mannerism. And I hope. The church will have an influence on the world and not the world an influence on the church. And what we're seeing is so much of the world having an influence. Kaylee, when do you start acting like a lady? What is a lady? Because, see, the value you carry for yourself is the value that you will put on a young man to respect you. But if you don't see yourself as a young lady, if you don't see yourself as a young woman, when you become a woman, you won't know how to act like a woman. It's a learning process that we learn. That when you step out in public, we can say, There's a gracious young lady. Not fully grown yet, but we see the lady more than we see who? The kid. Hey. And that's development, that takes time to develop. Young men don't become professional young men the day they step into an office If they have not been trained to step into that office. if they haven't been trained to dress and look and act that role. They won't know how. And we're losing that. You have to start early training for professionalism. You have to start early training how you're going to conduct yourself and handle yourself. You start that early. Cause without the Holy Spirit we do act like some gutter snipes. With no real morals or high respect for ourselves. Go to Ephesians 2:10 with me. Most of you already know it, but we want to read it and we want to understand it a little bit more. Ephesians 2. Because here's something that the Lord says he's going to do. And it's going to be a continuous work according to Philips 1.6. But it's a work that cannot be done without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus knew that. And that's why his promise was, wait for the Spirit of God. Because everything you see the disciples do throughout the book of Acts is done through the power of the Holy Spirit, not the flesh. So in Ephesians 2.10, he says, For we are God's workmanship. You're something God's willing on. You're something God's making. You're something God's developing. You're something that God is putting His hands to and He's carving. He's molding. And we get that term, yeah, He is the powder and we are the clay. And He's fashioning us. We're His workmanship. And He says, for well, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Created where? In Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Not outside, but inside Christ Jesus. Being made to his image. To do what? Good works. Now, why would he say good works? Now, we all can do a work. The work has to be done in the attitude and mannerism of holiness. Be ye holy as who is. And God performs everything out of his holiness, out of his purity, out of his cleanness. That's why there was no sin when he created. And we have to function out of holiness, the righteousness of God. And that's something that has to be developed in us. That we function out of the righteousness and the holiness of God. And the Holy Spirit has to teach us how to function that way because we know how to function like us. Awesome. We know how to function out of the flesh. We know how to tell you off with every foul word. And we know how to fight. What we don't know how to do is to calm the situation. We know how to pour gas on the situation. But we don't know how to calm the situation. We don't understand that a kind word can turn away what? Wrath. And he says, you're my workmanship for good works. But you got to be prepared for that. It just doesn't happen. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. When was it prepared? In advance. In other words, you don't hire somebody unless you have some advanced work to do, some more work than what your present workers can handle. But the work is there, but you need more workers to do it. But now you've got to train them. You've got to prepare them. You've got to get them ready to do the work that is already prepared for them to do. And God is preparing us For the works that he would have us to do. Go right over to Philippians. Chapter 1 verse 6. Again you are quite familiar. Maybe with this verse. But let's bring it into context here with us too. Because see. Only one who can really prepare me. Is God himself. Is God himself. If God doesn't prepare me. Only power I had to prepare myself. Which is a weak power. Because my power and God's power is two different types of power. I can do all I can to prepare me for something. But unless God has his hand to it, that's all it is, a work of the flesh. Charles fell down twice the other day bringing limbs up to the chipper. (laughs) But he got back up. And he reminded me of the verse, the righteous shall fall seven times, but get up. <laughs> so I told him, child, put your feet on solid ground. <laughs> and some of the other men, and I want to thank them for coming out and just helping to chip up the wood and so forth. But I had two limbs in This hand and another one over here. And I was about three steps away from coming up that hill. And I said, Lord, give me the strength to come up the hill. (laughs) Give me three more steps. The thing is sometimes is calling upon him for what? The help that is needed. The strength that is needed. The knowledge that is needed. The wisdom that is needed. The discernment. That is needed. He says he's an ever present helper. But do you ever ask him to help you? And in Philippians 1.6. He says it in this manner. Being confident of this. Being confident of it. What am I confident of? That he who has begun a good work in you. Will carry it on. That what God has begun in my life. He will carry it out. I never called Gus Brown to be a pastor. I never called Gus Brown to go to college. He never got, would have got through college. It wasn't for God. But what God does in our life, if we allow him, he says he'll continue the work that he has promised to do in each one of us. Here comes the key to this. Is that we yield to the Holy Spirit and don't grieve the Holy Spirit who is doing the work of God in your life. We don't talk enough about the Holy Spirit. He's not the main character. Jesus is. But remember something. Everything Jesus did He did it through the power of the Holy Spirit because he laid his godly powers what? To the side. And who he asked us to depend upon he depended upon the Holy Spirit to do the work through him. And he says boy being confident how many of you are confident That God will give you the strength, give you the life, give you the knowledge, give you what you need of to perform his task. Most of the time we're asking God, Lord, help me do this. And there's nothing wrong with that. But he says a lot of times you don't receive because you're asking only to do what? Heap it upon who? Yourself. You're not asking it for the purpose of furthering his kingdom. You're not asking it in order to help you be a good worker in his kingdom. You're not asking him for the purpose that you can be a mighty servant in his kingdom. You're asking it for only one main reason. To enjoy your life a little better. Catch that? That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. Now, he's just going to keep working in me, working in me, working in me until Christ comes and receives me unto himself. He's just going to keep doing that until I go to the grave. That's why he says everything that has breath do what? Praise the Lord. And I like what David Jeremiah said this morning, if some of you may have caught him. There's no 62 in the Bible. In other words, you don't retire at 62. You don't quit at 62. You don't find it. But you hear Caleb at 80 years old, Lord, give me my land. Caleb, I don't want no land. You got to work that land. But a lot of us see 62 as vacation time. Lord, just help me to get the 62. Lord, I can draw my social security and I don't have to go to work no more, Lord. Well, Lord still got a job for you. He never lays you off. You may not be a good worker, but you never get a pink slip from me. He always has a job for you. But the question is, are you willing to put your hand to the plow and do it? Go to Acts eight. Look what he tells his disciples. He didn't tell them, hey, run on out there and start the work. You've seen me do it. You just go on out there and start doing it. He didn't tell them that. So in that one, Acts eight is very important for us, even today. He simply says, But ye will receive power. Why? It takes power to live the Christian life. So everything you see the disciples and the apostles doing in the book of Acts, you see them doing it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Not through the flesh. Not through their own mentality. But through the power of the Holy Spirit. And today we need to get a new picture of that. What is it to function in the power of the Holy Spirit? What is it to be guided by the Holy Spirit? What is it to capture a vision of God through the Holy Spirit? And sometimes we need to labor in prayer. Lord, what is it that you would have me to do? Lord, don't let my hands be busy in fleshly things, but let my hands be busy in working in your kingdom. Well, that thing really messed up. But let's go to 1 Corinthians 11, because the real issue is this here. Will God himself reveal it to us? And, and, and the other day, boy, I was asking myself this question. Are my goals higher than just a fleshly realm? And if my goals are higher than a fleshly realm, will the Holy Spirit take control of this body in order to use it to achieve those goals? See, the Holy Spirit commits us to higher goals than just our own. He commits us to something far beyond what we can even envision. But then it comes to that place of surrendering to him that he might use us to achieve those because they're not achievable in the flesh. even in our speaking or helping up our neighbors and changing our own lifestyle you can't change your own lifestyle most of us look at ourselves and we say we're doing great we're doing good why don't you ask God how do I look God how am I running this race Lord am I pleasing you See, pleasing of self can be very easy. But pleasing him can be quite difficult sometimes. But we need to ask that. Go to 2 Corinthians 11. I want you hear what Paul is saying. Because Paul is telling us of some of his difficulties in the ministry. And If you're in the ministry, understand something. It's going to be difficult at times. Uh, Understand this. Just because you're in ministry does not mean people will speak kindly of you. Even with the little statement, oh, you think you're so spiritually high. Oh, you just think you really are this or that. No. Never be ashamed of who you are in Christ and what you're doing for the Lord. But what you do, do it with all of your heart and all of your might. That might be only for a minute or two, but give him that minute or two. Starting in verse 23, listen to what Paul is saying here. Paul says, are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk Like this. I am more. Paul is the same man who tells us don't measure ourselves, what? By ourselves. But in one sense, he's doing that right now. He says, I'm more. I'm more than you when it comes to serving Christ. I'm far ahead of you when it comes to serving Christ. I am more. I have worked much harder. So while I was out here, I was challenging myself. Lord, am I working as hard as Paul or am I surpassing what Paul may have done? Being a tent maker wasn't easy. Walking from one city to another city wasn't all that easy. You didn't have all the clear roads. You had some woods sometimes you had to walk through. And it's difficult walking through some woods, any of you who hike in the parks. Not counting with Paul's day, the robbers that might want to rob you. Or the wild animals you may have had to fall off. Or not being able to check into a hotel room. Not being able to stop at a restaurant and eat. And Paul says, I'm more. I've worked much harder than you. No, my life serving Christ has been way harder than yours. Been in prison more frequently. Now imagine some of them never been in prison. But flogged more severely. And some of them may have never been flogged. And been exposed to death again and again. What Paul said, putting my life in danger for Christ again and again and again. How many of you have put your life in danger for Christ? Even on the job, put yourself in danger for Christ. Five times I have received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned three times. I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits. In danger for my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the cities, in danger in the country, in danger in sea, and in danger. Boy, just quit! If it's that much danger, quit! If it's that much hardship, quit! Well, what was in Paul that wouldn't allow him to quit? the Holy Spirit. What you're reading here is not the determination of the flesh, but the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in the life of a person. It's the empowerment of the Holy Spirit into the life of a person that wouldn't allow him to quit in the flesh any natural man would have ran away in the flesh the natural man would say it's not worth this in the flesh being in danger one time said I don't do this no more And what empowered Paul was the person of the Holy Spirit dwelling within. This is not determination of the flesh, it is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. 27, I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressures of my concerns for all who? The churches. What is your main concern? Lord, keep my house. Lord, keep the gas on. Lord, don't turn off the electric. Lord, put some food in the refrigerator. And look what Paul says. My concern is for the churches. My concern is for the kingdom of God. You see the radical difference? You see why Paul starts off? It's going to seem like I'm talking out of my mind. It seems like I'm talking crazy. Because when you become radical for Jesus in your home or in your life, People think you lost it. And people will very quickly tell you, you ain't got to be at church all the time. But look what's happening to church. Because the people who say they love Jesus won't even come. And we'll wait until there's no more churches and then we'll say, what happened? How did that happen? but we'll never look in the mirror and say, it was my fault. (laughs) It was my fault. It was my fault. And Paul says, I do all this for the sake of the church. I do all this suffering that I'm going through for the churches. And then look at 29, how he looks at others even. Who is weak? And I do not feel what? Weak. When you look at your brother and sister who is not maybe on the spiritual level you are. Do you have a strong desire to help bring them where? Up. Or do you turn your nose up at them? Do you look down at them? Do you talk about their ignorance of scripture and stupidity of knowing scripture? Or is there something in you that fires up on the inside that says, I want to bring them up. I want to bring them up. I want to bring them up. That's a world of difference in attitude. And Paul says, who is weak and I do not feel weakness? What Paul was remembering is this. I was once where they were. I was persecuting the church. I had no knowledge really of the scriptures per se in light of Jesus Christ. And he goes on, he says, who is led into sin? And I do not inwardly burn. Who is led into ignorance? Who is led into sin? Who is led? And the scripture says, my people perish for the lack of knowledge and I don't desire to teach or pass on knowledge to a next generation or to other individuals or to other people. And knowledge is not only knowledge in the Bible, it's knowledge. And only one who gives true knowledge is God himself. Real knowledge does not come from the educators. The educators were educated by someone to pass on these truths. And those truths were made known by God. And when you go back into scripture, you understand when God brought Israel out of Egypt, they didn't know how to work with metal. But guess what God did? He taught a couple of them how to work with metal. And they taught others. And, he, and you'll see in the account of Genesis, him bringing the people out, he taught Israel how to work with other things other than just straws and brick. And they taught others. And God will teach you something that you can teach to others. Run over to Matthew with me. Look what he says here. And this is only done by, again, by the Holy Spirit, Matthew 22. Because you can't do it in and of yourself. And we wonder sometimes, why is it that this world is in such a shape that it's in? You can't do one of these without the other. They function together. They're almost like a teeter-totter. If a teeter totter is going to work right, you need what? Someone where at? On the other side. Or you're over there by yourself with all your leg power. You're doing what? Pushing yourself up, trying to get up. But you'll never get as high as if somebody else was on the other side. And because somebody else is on the other side, guess what you do? You lift each other up. (laughs) That doesn't say you don't have valleys in life. But other people help pick you up then. And when they go in their valley, guess what? Somebody helps pick them up. And when you put these two things together, then you're really carrying out God's will. On their own. You can go back into James and James says, Boy, oh yeah, I'll pray for you, but you do nothing else. You can say to some man, I love you. And you say that to God who you don't even see. Matthew 37. Jesus replied when the Pharisees asked him a question of the greatest commandment. And he says this here. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, As inwardly. And today a lot of times our culture will say. God knows my heart. You're right. God does know your heart. I'll never argue that point with anybody. Because the reality. God really does know what. But he also knows the deceitfulness of your heart. And he knows your heart better than what you know it yourself. But he says the love the Lord God with all your heart make him the center of your life make him everything about your life that causes your life to function when your heart stops beating the blood stops circulating and when the blood stops circulating it's not long make him the center of your life and with all your soul With all the inner man that is in you, that's the real person. This, what you see here, is the body, the shell that houses the soul and the spirit. But you love him with your inner man, not just your outer person. Most of us show outer religiousness, but not heartfelt Christ. I went alongside my wife this morning, alongside the bed, and I just sat there for a moment. And I said, you know something? I'll never hurt that which is like a well that I come back to to drink from. I'll never poison that well. I'll never do any harm to that well. Because I'm always coming back to the one that I love and treasure. And I wanted her to know that. I'll never do you any harm. And sometimes we need, as men, we need to remind our wives of that. That we'll never do them any harm. Because they see a lot of things on news too. They see how men, other men, treat some of their wives. They understand what a battered shelter is for. But we need to encourage them that it never happened to you. That it never happened to you. And he says the second part. This is the first And greatest, no, I'm sorry, he says then with all your mind. Heart, soul, and with all your mind. How do you love God with a mind that has not been prepared to love him? You have to prepare your mind to love God as the way God wants you to love him. One thing about a husband and wife, we teach each other how we want to be loved and cared for. We teach each other that over the years. And God, through His Word, teaches us how He expects us to love Him. second part is the part we don't take too seriously. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as your what? Do you want to live in a nice home? Why don't you help your neighbor do that? You want to drive a nice car? Why don't you help your neighbor do that? You want to have money in your pocket? Why don't you help your neighbor do that? You want to know how to read? Why don't you help your neighbor do that? You want to be able to do math? Why don't you help your neighbor do that? You want to know how to spell? Why don't you help your neighbor do that? Whatever you want for you, why don't you help your neighbor gain it also? And that's all he is saying. What you desire for yourself, help somebody else to gain it. See that that there clock. We need to have a gun that we could just go boom to it. You know. The Holy Spirit is given to us. Now understand this, vital here. The Holy Spirit is giving to us if we hear Him to remind us of our purpose in life. He reminds us of our purpose in life. To serve and love God and my neighbor. That's my purpose in life. Now, we cannot tell all the works of the person of the Holy Spirit. All the works he's going to do in your life. We can't tell that. But I'm going to give you a little checklist. And... Um, ask yourself that this is happening in your life he will teach us the important knowledge of Jesus being Savior. Not just that oh I can say Jesus is my Savior. Why is it important that Jesus is my Savior? Why is that so important for me to understand that and grasp that? Because if I really see him as Savior, I'll see him as Lord. But just because he gives me eternal life, that don't mean I have to make him Lord. That don't mean he, he becomes this in my life or that in my life. But when I really understand him as Savior and the price he paid to save me, it changes me. There's no work that is too much for his glory. There's no suffering more than what he suffered on that cross for my salvation. When I really understand Jesus as my Savior, it changes my mentality and my actions. And it's only by the Holy Spirit opening up the scriptures to you will you really catch and understand it. Secondly, he will lead us through the knowledge of God's word. The natural man can never understand God's word. I don't care how much he reads it. It's all foolishness to him. It is like a big myth. It is like a big lie. That's why a lot of Christians today don't believe in the Miracles. Because that's not what man does. It may not be what man does, but it certainly is what God does. But the Holy Spirit, He is the one then who teaches you the Scriptures, not man, because Scripture says that God will, there's come that time in which God will not allow any man to teach other men, but He would teach them. And when you open up that word in your devotion, and when you spend time with God, and that's what Melvin's trying to get you to see in Sunday school a lot of times, in that time, that quiet time. When you will spend time with God, you will get used to hearing God talk to you. You'll get used to the Holy Spirit saying, stop, think about this. Look at what is really being said. And you'll be spellbound right there. And you'll spend 10, 15 minutes or more just thinking about that one thought. Because somebody else is talking to you. And somebody else is present in the room with you. Somebody else is teaching you. The Holy Spirit. And you become aware of that. He will lead us through the knowledge of God's Word. And He takes me one lesson at a time. He's going to take you into what it is to be a godly woman. What is it to be a godly man? What is it to be a godly wife? What is it to be a godly husband? What is it to be a godly father? What is it to be a dad? He had to teach me how to be a dad with my kids. He had to teach me how to father my kids. Two different things. He had to teach me how to love Elaine. Y'all haven't lived with her. I have. But she's had to live with me too. (laughs) You listen to my sister-in-law. Boy, Elaine, lucky she got this brown, not one of the other browns. (laughs) Sometime, one day I'm going to have the courage to ask them, what do you mean by that? <laughs> but he leads us in the knowledge of the things that we have need of as Christians. He leads us. He teaches us. He will teach us how to lead other individuals to Christ. He will teach you the words you need to say to somebody else. The words of encouragement. He'll give you discernment. Well, you're just not taking a track and reading it from a track to somebody else, but now you're talking personally right into that person's life. He'll give you the words that that person needs to hear. And that person sometimes will even scratch their head and inwardly say, how did they know that? Because of the Holy Spirit. He will teach you how to minister to other people and lead them to Christ. He will teach us to fear God. And that's one of the things we're losing. In that fear, I'm talking about the high respect and the reverence of stepping into his presence. Yes, we're always in his presence. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. But there is something about coming into God's church. There's something about coming into the sanctuary. There's something about... That intimate moment in which God meets with His people and when He meets with you privately in your home, there's something very intimate about that that deserves the highest respect and reverence because He, the King of Kings, will come into your dining room. The King of Kings comes into your bedroom. The King of Kings comes into your bathroom. He comes wherever you want to meet Him. He's there. And you show him the respect and the reverence. As much as we talk about President Trump, if he stepped through them doors right now, a lot of us would change in a moment. Just because he's the President of the United States. Well, we're talking about the King of Kings stepping into our lives, into our presence. And we need that respect. And we're losing it in the church. And if we lose it, what will the world lose? Another one to put on your checklist. And I hope you have a high regard for God. A high respect for him. He will teach us how to be holy. We think we know how to be holy. But oftentimes we're comparing our holiness with a sinner over here and saying I'm better than he is. At least I get to church once or twice a year. He don't never go. But I'm learning how to be holy. Why? That I function out of holiness. The compassion I show comes forth out of holiness. The kindness I render to another person comes out of holiness. The love I show to another person comes out of holiness. For God functions out of his holiness, out of his perfectness. And we learn through the Holy Spirit how to function out of holiness, Out of that which is righteous from God. Another one on your checkpoint. He will teach us how to be stewards of life. In that you will understand the life you have is not your own. But you've been bought with a price. You are no longer yours, but you belong to Him. And everything about your life. You are a steward of the life that he gives to you. The car you drive is his car. The home you live in is his home. The clothes you wear are his clothes. The money you spend is his money. That you become that steward of everything about life. And you understand, you own nothing. You own nothing. And none of us like to give it up. For we want to be the owner. No, start saying to yourself, I'm the steward. I don't care if you have $1 in the bank or 100000 in the bank. You're only a steward over that which God has granted you to be. It's not yours. Because when you die, it all stays here. He will teach us about dedication to excellence. Why? In Mark 7, 37, it says something about Jesus. He doeth all things well. What do we mean by all things well? God did all things well. By his godly ability. Only thing God is asking you, and that's the thing about the parable of the talents, he's only expecting you to do the best you can do that which he has given to you. But you do your best, and you do it well to your ability. And if you do that, God heightens your ability and you move up there, he heightens your ability. He keeps making you where you can do better and better and better and better. And you do all things well. I'm trying to rush with that clock. I know some of y'all want to go home. Y'all saying that long-winded pastor, I tell you. But he wants you to do all things well. And he will teach you how to worship. How to worship. True worship doesn't start out here. True worship starts in here. Where you are worshiping him in here, not out here. Out here is the religious form of worship. In here is the true worship that takes place. I don't need all of you to worship him. I can do that at home in my basement with my own tears and worshiping him and praising him. Last four things and we're out of here. Feelings. Four ways we respond to the world and oftentimes we respond with our feelings or with our senses. Our experiences and our experiences First, emotions. When it comes to God, put your experience secondary. Put your emotions secondary. Because God the Holy Spirit is in control of you, not your feelings. Your experiences is only what God has allowed you to experience in order to prepare you for your real experiences in life with him. Secondly, thinking. Being able to plan and see the cause and effect. Young ladies, young men, when you get ready to get married, be able to see down the road something. Not just (laughs) the marriage, the wedding. You got to ask yourself this question. Can I live with this person the rest of my life? Don't go into something thinking you're going to change somebody. Somebody. But look down the road. Can you hang in there with this person? And the answer is no. Don't even do it. Don't even do it. You want to be able to think and plan as God would. And you want to be able to see cause and effect. If I do this, this may happen. If I do this, this may take place. You want to be able to see those things and Talk about those things and clarify those things. Thirdly, choosing. Choosing to make good decisions. That's a choice. A lot of people make bad decisions because they really don't choose. They don't look at the two. They don't look at, oh boy, the best of things and what? The worst of things. And then be able to make a decision that comes out of that by looking at both ends of the spectrum. And the other thing is to establish for yourself some standards. Some standards. Parents, ask your grandchildren, ask your children, what are their standards for themselves? Not just what you taught, but what are their standards that they hold that are really valuable? And then the courage and the willingness to do what is right. Sometimes I hold a standard, but I don't follow through with it because I don't have the courage to do it. Last one, and we'll go home. Doing performance, or just the doing. The doing is my performance performance. And whatever action is desirable or necessary to carry out God's will, it's better to obey God than man. See, if I were to listen to my wife this past week, none of this over here would have got done. But you can't go to step two till you do step one. There's always something that you have to do first before you can go to B and you got to do B before you can get to C and you have to keep doing that you got to lay the blocks if you're going to build and you got to stay with something if you're going to get something done just looking at it is not going to get it done and sometimes just throwing money at it won't get it done But those four things is how we respond to the world. Why? The world expects you to quit. They don't expect you to do a lot for yourself or for the kingdom of God. The world don't expect you to make good decisions. That's why we have a lot of counseling things today to make decisions for us. We've become a people who don't think things through. We just do what somebody else tells us to do. We're not thinkers today. And we function way too much off of our feelings and our past experiences rather than hearing God about our future. Amen? Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord. That, Lord, that you want to Educate us. You want to build us up. You want to encourage us. That we might be the people that you called us to be. And Lord, we understand you're not in a hurry. And sometimes, Lord, it takes longer than what our expectations are. Because we want it done right now. We want it done very quickly. We don't want to suffer. We don't want to add much to it on our own. We just want you to speak the word and it's done. But Lord, may we look at scripture and see that Lord, it took most of Moses' life to prepare him for that which you were going to have him do. Jesus took 30 years to prepare for three years. And Lord, there's always that time of preparation. Would you minister to us and allow us to know that it's not going to happen in a lifetime sometime. But if we pray for it, we believe it, and you laid it on our hearts, you will bring it to pass. Whether we're on earth or in heaven, it would not be because it's our will that it comes to pass, but that it is your will. Teach us, Lord, to stay in step with you, not to run ahead of you, nor lag way behind you, but to walk very closely to you. And Lord, as we prepare to take the offering, Would you bless this offering? Would you multiply it? Would you use it according to your own goodwill and pleasure? And Father, would you bless each house that is represented here? Lord, we don't want people leaving here talking about they heard a good sermon. We want people leaving here saying, I heard from God that you spoke directly to each person who is seated here today. It's not important what Gus Brown said, but it's important to what the Holy Spirit said to each and every one of us. May we leave with that, Lord. And may you bless the offering in Jesus' name.